in starting out in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, picking up in verse 17, um, well, as I've been walking through Acts, one of the things that has really kind of stood out to me here in recent weeks, and, and which includes our Wednesday night discussion somewhat too, is this idea of reconciliation and bringing people back to Christ. I, it became clear to me in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 that that's really what's being practiced here. Is, is this reconciliation. You know, if you think about it, we see in chapter 1 where, where the Lord ascends and he, of course, leaves his command for the children of Israel, or for the, Peter and John, rather, children of Israel. I guess that's the right statement. The apostles to begin to wait on the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, they would witness for him. We see that. We see chapter 2 where they become, become to act like the church is supposed to act and be. And in chapter 3, we start to see this ministry start to take place. It starts at the temple. And we see this crippled man brought to a healing place. And as I just walked through it, I realized this, this, is, this is the ministry of reconciliation. This is what's happening. And as you go through that, you go into chapter 5, you see the picture of the church. You see those who are trying to come into the church who are not of God and how God deals with that. You see chapter 6 where they start to how they take care of folks in the church. We see chapter 7, martyrdom. Chapter 8, evangelism, going out into the world. Chapter 9, we see the apostle appointed for, for the Gentiles, and then we see the gospel brought to the Gentiles, and then we see this repeat of this through the rest of the book. And so really just became strong in my mind, that with uh, Philemon, if you read it that way, as we look, look at this idea of reconciling. And so I wanted to talk a few minutes about this, because this is what we have been given. So let's pray together, and we'll get started in Corinthians here. Father, we love you. We praise the name of Jesus Christ. It's through him and him alone that we stand here that we live, that we move and have our being. If it was not for him, there would be not any of this. We of all men would be most pitiable, having no hope, no way. And our festivals would be vain, and our meeting would be useless. But because of you, Lord Jesus Christ, they're not vain, and they're not useless. They're a glorious picture of who you are and what you have done for us. And so, Father, we just today pray that you will Speak for us. Speak for me. Be the ears of your people. I pray, Father, they leave here encouraged and strengthened to do what you have them to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I looked at this and thought about it, I, I, there's really three kind of thoughts that come to my mind. First of all, I would say that you and I, as God's people, have been commissioned for the ministry of reconciliation. And as a result of that commission, we have been given a method of ministry. We're going to touch on that for in a few minutes. And we have an example of how this ministry of reconciliation should take place or what it's going to look like. And so we're going to touch on these three things because I think it's vitally important that we understand that this is what we have been called to do. If you and I have been converted, transformed, renewed, made alive in Christ, then we have been given a ministry. It's one of the great discussions I have with people all the time is, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure. And, and I understand what they're asking. They're asking for some specific duty or function or task that they can go about and do in the name of the Lord. And, and yet here we see, and we're going to see, that you, you have been commissioned. You and I have been given a task. It's not really hard to, to fathom or understand it, how it gets played out sometimes is a little bit interesting or a little dynamic. 
But the fact is, you have been given, I have been given, a ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 17 for a minute in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, I know he's got like therefore. Therefore is because if you look at the previous verses, God has done a work in changing your soul. He's made you alive. And because he's done this, we no longer regard the flesh, but we look to the Spirit. And he says, therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I think Josh touched on this in Sunday school this morning, this idea of uh, this, everything is new. There's a teaching out there in the world today, and you heard this in Sunday school, that actually says that, that God uh, doesn't change you, and following Jesus doesn't change you. It's just that you are already that way, and you just need to know it. That's a form of Gnosticism that's been around since Jesus walked the earth. That's a lie from the gates of hell. You are transformed. If you are Christ in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. A new creation. The problem we have is that we don't turn loose to the old things. That's the evidence, that the struggle we have. This is why we always have struggles, because we constantly want to hold on to the old things, the old way, the old stuff. doesn't matter whether it's legalism, religion, tradition, whatever it is, we want to hold on to it. But old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new, and the thing that has become new first and foremost is you and I. I'm a new creation. That's what I think is so marvelous. I think that's one of the reasons we like to talk about our testimonies because of what God has done before. The short version is I was wretched and, and pitiful, not worth anything. And God transformed that, and he's renewing that day by day, and he's constantly increasing me to be more like him. And it's the same thing that's happened to you, and we have to remember that that has happened to us. See, and sometimes we, we forget that not only in our, our lives, but the lives of other people. Because we see people and we'll, we judge on the outward side. We judge the flesh. We look at them and go, boy, if you don't dress like me and look like me and talk like me and sound like me and go where I go and do what I do and those kind of things, suddenly maybe you're not really changed. But no, you and I are constantly being transformed. I heard in Sunday school this morning that, that on that great day, the great and terrible day of the Lord is when this transformation is finally and fully complete. But until then, we're being walked through it. We're being ever changed. Burial cloth, your old life is constantly being ripped away and replaced with cloths of righteousness. That's the good news of our gospel, of our Lord. So we see then that these old things have passed away and behold all things have become new. He says now in verse 18, now all things are of God. All things are of God. The Greek scholars outside, I know he's upstairs, he could probably tell us what all means, but I'm going to go with it means all. <laughs> It means all. So all things are of God. You mean the decisions that I'm having to face in life are, 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 are of God? You mean that yesterday's fall festival was of God? You mean the opportunity to talk to somebody was of God? You mean the opportunity to witness to somebody was of God? You mean the struggle I might be enduring in my life of God? Because God is transforming me and conforming me to the image of Christ, constantly renewing me, constantly make, making me look more and more like Him because re, what you and I don't understand and fail to grasp is how unlike Christ we were before He saved us. See, we look at each other and we go, well, I'm pretty good. You compare yourself to me and you'll say, well, I'm better than Robin. You ain't done nothing. <laughs> that ain't, that's nothing. That and five bucks might get you coffee at the Jiffy. Might. I don't even know now. But inflation and everything, I don't know. But when you get compared to Christ, oh my goodness. 
we are indeed most wretched, most, most filthy. So he says, now all things are of Christ. So all the things that God has done in your life and my life are of, in, and through Him. It's because of Him, through Him, of Him, that you and I have been transformed, and we have been given something. Now we talk, I heard it in Sunday school, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise for that day, and you have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit's working in your life to cause you to walk after Him and to be like Him and be conformed, and all these things I've just mentioned. This is all of Him. God has done this transforming work in you. And the reason He's done it is, look at the second part of this verse, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who has reconciled us to Himself. Here's a key point. Because we look at each other and we look at ourselves, we think inherently there's something good. Well, what took place in the garden separated you and I from God. All you have to do is go back to Romans chapter 5 and read about that old Adam and the new Adam. And because of that old Adam, you and I came away with a sin nature. This is why we call it terrible twos. We'd call it terrible ones if one-year-olds could walk. But it's terrible twos because our inherent nature is to do wrong, to be disobedient, to turn from God, to turn from authority, to turn from those who are over us. That's our nature. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, gave His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the purpose of reconciling you and I back to Him because we are outside of the commonwealth of Israel. We are outside of God. We are outside of the garden of grace. We, through sin, have been separated and you and I need to get back in there. And there's only one way. Your works won't do it. Your membership won't do it. Your country won't do it. Your, none of, your, your intelligence, your not, wisdom, your strength, your power, nothing will reconcile you back to God. There's only one who can do that, and His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One, given among men the only name where we must be saved. He's the only one because He's the only one who is righteous. He's the only one who's holy. He's the only one who's true. He's the only one who can come into the presence of God because He is holy. He's the only one who can come from the presence of God and interact with you and I because we are unholy. That's why He's the God-man. He is the reconciler. And He died and paid for you because, see, here's the thing. We owed this debt not to the devil, which is a false teaching, by the way. You read Dante's Inferno and you think Satan rules hell. That's not true. We sinned against God. We didn't sin against the devil. We sinned against the Holy One. And it's Him we have to be reconciled with. It's Him who is extracting payment. And He does it in His Son. Because you and I couldn't make the offering. Because if I remember right it from Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the other five books of the law, a lamb that had to be offered from the first year had to be spotless, had to be without blemish. It could have nothing about it that could hinder it from being offered. Well, guess what? If you and I tried to offer our own lives for, for our sin, it would be insufficient offering. You would be rejected. Nothing in you or me would even qualify us to offer our own life to be reconciled to God. But Jesus, the Holy One, the Perfect One, the Righteous One, the True One, could offer Himself and be accepted.
And that blood has made it possible for you and I to be reconciled to God because you and I need it. And I got to thinking about this. I saw a post the other day associated with that conversation Josh shared with you guys earlier. And I saw a post about, well, God just loves everybody. And I was thinking about this. And I thought, 1 John 4, he tells me God is love. For God is love. And I thought, is it that he loves everybody or that he is love? And if he is love, then why does he say in Malachi, Jacob I love and Esau I've hated? How does this reconcile? How does this work? And I, and I started really becoming clear to my heart what's happening and why reconciliation is so critically important for you and I. Because God who is love, you and I have been separated from because of sin. And what we lack in our lives and what Christ is doing for you and I is bringing us back into the presence of God. And when God is love, now you come into the presence of love. Now you are in the presence of our God. This is what it means when God loves you. What's happened is, is God has allowed you and allowed me through the blood of Jesus Christ to come back into his presence. And when you're in the presence of God, there, isn't, there is no place for anything else. There is no darkness. There is no shadow of turning. There is only light and there is only love because that's who he is. That's what he's bringing to us. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what has happened in Jesus Christ. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, your hope is in Jesus Christ, all that you are has been committed to who Jesus Christ is, now you, by faith, can be reconciled to God. And your sins be washed away. It be cast as the east is from the west. The flaming sword so that you can go be removed, so you can go back into the presence of the living God. That's what the garden's all about. It's about the eternal peace of God. It's about the love of God. It's about the mercy of God. It's about His grace being poured out on us so we can go in. The reason we have struggles in our life, the reason we have strife in our life, the reason we're not at peace and at rest and we feel hopeless and loveless and all the other things is because we get out of the presence of God or we have never been in it. And we have confused religion and tradition and other things as though that's the presence of God and it never was. But the presence of God is the love of God being shown upon you, poured out. It, it, it shows up in the form of peace. It shows up in your life having peace with all men. It shows up in love to others. That's how I can love my enemy. That's how we can... Somebody asked me yesterday, why, why, why is this free? Because salvation was free to us. And God has gifted all of this. This is God's love being poured out in every one of these people who are standing here working and doing these things and providing these cakes and these hot dogs and everything else that you enjoyed yesterday was the love of God that these people are enjoying in the presence of Him being poured out through these folks because they have been reconciled to God. And that's the ministry you and I have been given. To share that very truth with a lost and dying world. That you too can be reconciled to God. It's one of my favorite sayings. You've heard it before. If God will save me, He'll save anybody. If He would go to this wretch and show His mercy, if He would reconcile me through the blood of Jesus Christ to Himself so that I could enjoy God, He'll do it for anybody. The greatest heathen, the greatest Muslim, the greatest Mormon, the greatest Jehovah Witness, the greatest Gentile, the greatest heretic, atheist, all of it, 
He'll save any of them. But the thing that Scripture teaches me is it says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And then it's, so how will they hear unless it be preached? And how will it be preached unless they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good tidings. That's why despite the fact that my little toe doesn't touch the ground, I have beautiful feet. And so do you. When they're shod in the gospel of peace, when they deliver the good news. He says in this passage, he goes on to say, he says, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I now know what I'm called to do. Preach the good news. And to bring those who are outside of the commonwealth, who are outside of the things of God, bring this good news to them so that they might, might, might be reconciled. That they may come to Christ. That's what he's telling us here. And I, and I love this next verse. And he goes, and that is, he says, this is how it looks. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So the God the Father, who in God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, meeting in eternity, if you will, understanding, knowing that we're going to have to bring these people back to us because they cannot come on their own. They're unable. They're unwilling. They're always stiff-necked. They always reject the things of God. They will never come. And they can't come if they wanted to because there's a great gulf between us and them, and they can't cross over because their sin is too great. So, son, you're going to go reconcile them. Sounds good, Father. I want my people. Holy Spirit, let's go. And he sent his son to bring these people back, to bring you and I back. That is good news. That's what we celebrated yesterday. That's what we get to enjoy. This ministry of reconciliation, who God sent him through his son, Jesus Christ, and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that, the, that, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Look at this, not imputing their trespasses to them, God did not impute their trespasses to them. God did not put on them the sin that they had committed. He did not charge them with the things that had separated them. He did not do that. Instead, what he did is he put it on the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one worthy and able to bear it, the only one who could be resurrected despite it, because he's the only one who was holy and perfect. He charged Jesus with your trespasses. He charged Jesus with my trespasses. He charged Jesus with our sin. Think about that for a minute. Jesus took what you, kept you from God, what kept you from blessings, what kept you from truth, what kept you from love and peace and all the things we say we enjoy as a believer. He took the things that kept you from that and put it on him and imputed to you and I a righteousness, a right standing with God. A right standing with God. See, we arrogantly think that, that we didn't need one or it's not that big a deal. All I can do is listen to the news and listen to, to, to some of these people who are talking about the gospel as though it's nothing and listen to what the world's doing. They actually think that they're, they, they shake their fist at God. They actually think that their righteousness is okay. They No! It's not. It's a filthy rag. A nastiness that has no place in the presence of our God. But God has imputed His righteousness to you. 
Oh, what a great God. What a glorious God who would do that for us when I was so filthy and so wretched and so nasty and had no place. No place. Not imputing trespassing them has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Here it is. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. He has get in, in your heart, in my heart, the word of reconciliation. That's the preaching that we do. Be reconciled to God. How does that happen? Repent. Why do I need to repent? Because you've sinned against the holy God. How did that work? Well, let's go back to the garden and work our way forward. Let's get to Exodus chapter 20 and say, let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted anything that was on your neighbor's side of the fence? How about, have you ever lied? Because you're lying right now about the previous question. <laughs> have you ever disobeyed your mama? Even slightly. We hadn't even got to the ones with God. We're still talking about men. And since God gave you the ones about men, you've disobeyed God on the other ones. So. so we see, we just walk our way through. You need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now in verse 20 he says this, and I love this. this is one of my favorites, one of the earliest ones that was presented to me. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors. Now an ambassador first and foremost is somebody chosen by the king to go and represent him. He's chosen by the king. You don't, you don't apply for the job and they just give it to you. The king decrees who's going to go for him and what location and go where and represent him. And as an ambassador, you're only allowed to say what the king gives you to say. You can make deals for the king. Think about this now. The ambassador has been authorized by the king to go and make deals for him with other nations. But he can only make a deal according to what the king has authorized him to do. He can only offer so much gold. He can only offer so much military aid. He can only offer so much financial and, and health aid and human aid and anything else. He can only do what the king has said. If he gives one iota contrary to what the king has said, then he's no longer the ambassador for the king. And he's not qualified to represent him. And the king can be recalled, or the ambassador can be recalled at any time and replaced with a new one when he doesn't carry out the command that the king has given him. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been commissioned by God to the ministry of reconciliation to represent God before the world. I love RAs. Y'all like RAs? Remember RAs? We used to do RAs. Royal ambassadors. GAs, girls in action. Right? I was, we were brand new Christians, me and Sonia, and at Oak Park. What did they do? They said, you're going to be the RA and the GA leader. <laughs> what was this, punishment? What's the deal? <laughs> The royal ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. I will learn how the message of Christ is carried around the world. I will work with others in sharing the message of Christ. I will keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. That's the RA pledge. And I think I forgot the last one, if I'm not mistaken. But that's what it is. We represent Christ, and we have been commissioned to carry this message out, to share this good news. The message of reconciliation. To do what God has told us. He said, we are ambassadors for Christ. Look at this now. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The scripture is telling us that God is speaking through you and I, imploring those people to come and repent and believe and to know this is why we do what we do because it's Christ himself standing here in us going, be reconciled. Christ gave his life for that purpose. And if Christ is in us, 
We have to give our life for that purpose. That's the whole point of self-denial, isn't it? To deny ourselves for the kingdom, for this ambassadorship that we've been given. To share this good news. The reason the world's crazy, the reason the world is our government does what it does, and our leaders do what they do, and the, everything is the way it is, is because these people are in desperate need of a Savior. They're in desperate need of being reconciled to God because they've been left to their own devices. They've been turned over to a reprobate mind. And if they're not careful, their conscience is going to be seared. And then they're going to die. And they're going to go before the living God and it's going to depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. We stand here today hollering, be reconciled to God. This is Christ's plea. This is His call. It's not mine. It's Christ who's saying be reconciled. This is the ministry we've been given. Why have we been given this ministry? Verse 21, For He made Him, He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son. And made there was not, you go do this under my authority commands. It was the unified triune God doing this made Him who knew no sin. The word here, knew, is the same word that is used when Adam knows Eve. It's deep intimacy, where two become one. See, that's how you and I were with sin. We were two and we became one. We know sin. But He who knew no sin, no relationship with sin, no intimacy with sin, no knowledge of sin in that way, He's God. He knows everything, but no intimacy with it. Knew no sin to be sin for us, to bear what I am, a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. That's what He's done. Why did He do this? Look at this now. That we, that's you and I, <laughs> might become the righteousness of God. He bore what I was, so I could bear what He is. Righteous before the living God. Isn't that good news? That's the ministry you've been given. This ministry of reconciliation that preaching Christ and Him crucified to a lost and dying world in hopes that they'll repent, in hopes that they'll believe, hopes that they'll be transformed and renewed and made alive in Him. I'm standing here now to anyone who doesn't believe, who doesn't know, be reconciled to Christ. Repent of your sin nature, of your old life, of your old ways. Turn from you to Him. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's part one of the sermon. We have two more parts to go. I have time. It's a 20 till. They start gave me time. They said, we're going to give you more time, preacher, so you can fill in. Okay. So if that's the ministry of re reconciliation, you and I have been commissioned, then what's the method? Go over to Matthew chapter 18 for just a minute. Let's just quickly look there. We won't be as long, I don't believe. Matthew chapter 18, picking up in verse 15. We look at this passage, and typically, especially among some uh, theological bins, is we like to look at this passage as evidence and proof and what we need to be doing in terms of discipline. You know, get them out. <laughs> 
But what we see then is this ministry of reconciliation. What we have here is a pattern on how reconciliation takes place. Because the goal, based on the Great Commission that we just got from 2 Corinthians, is that we be reconciling people to Christ, that we be calling them to Christ. And the goal and the mindset is always rooted in that. Be reconciled. My purpose is to bring you back. My purpose is to bring you back into discipline. Uh, if you've been in the military or any kind of, any, even RAs was a form of discipline, a, a, a pattern. And the idea there is to, that you learn a structure and a way of approaching things and follow in that. And when you deviate from that or go stray from that, what do we say? You're out of the discipline. That's what we call it. We say you're out of the discipline. And we want you to come back into the discipline. We've turned it into, I'm going to discipline that youngin. And maybe that's necessary. I'm not debating that. But the purpose here, and what God is showing us here, is that bring you back in to this way. God desires mercy over sacrifice. That's what Scripture says. He'd much rather have mercy than sacrifice. Obedience over burnt offerings. He'd rather you do right than have to ask for forgiveness for doing wrong. Isn't that how you are with your children? I'd much rather them just be, do what they're supposed to do than, get it, than have to come back and say, oh, I did it wrong. Am I the only one that's crazy like this? Okay. Isn't it better when they do right? <laughs> so we see then, look at this now. He says, moreover, if your brother sin against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. Now let's just take this step back a minute and look at this picture, the same passage from God's perspective. Scripture tells me that Jesus is our brother. He's the king. The first begotten among many brethren, the scripture says. He's our brother. Was there any greater sin against a brother than what you and I in Adam sinned against our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the garden? Was there a greater sin committed? Has there been anything worse than that? It separated us from God forever. That's We went against our brother. Jesus is saying here in this passage, he's telling those, look, when a brother sins, go and tell him. And from the moment in the garden, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Judges, David, Elijah, Elijah, Samuel, Ezekiel, Malachi, John the Baptist, Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly, told the people to be reconciled to God. He went and told a brother. And if the brother repents, and we can go through countless stories in the Old Testament and New Testament where we see repentance, we receive faith, and they're reconciled and they rejoice. But maybe the brother doesn't respond that way. Verse 16, but if he will not hear you, Tell it to, he says, but if you were not here, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So again, we see where God has done this throughout the Old and New Testament. He has proclaimed a faithful witness to reconcile man to himself. That's the testimony we have. But if they still won't hear that, and if they refuse to hear them then, tell it to the church. church, God has commissioned us to preach this message of reconciliation. 
This is what we have been commanded to do. Tell the world they are against God. Tell the world they are separated from God. Tell your family members, your loved ones, anybody that you know, that you run into, that you see, however it might be, that they have separated from God and they need to be reconciled. They have sinned against God. Their brother the king. It's time to repent. It's time to come. And then we can narrow this same thing down more focused and do the same thing over again with a loved one in your life. You can take a, your friend, your brother, your dad and talk to him. I'm thinking of a story right now where we, at the last day of his life the man repented and believed the gospel. But I can tell you that that's how it went. The man talked to his dad. His dad quite didn't hear it. He brought friends in and he brought the church in. And on the last moment the man repented and believed the gospel. And by faith we believe that he's enjoying the Lord. That's an amen. You can practice that. That's what you've been commissioned to practice. That's what I've been commissioned to practice. That's what we tried to do yesterday. That's what we're trying to do now. And that's what we're going to try to do all the days until Christ returns. That's what you've been commissioned. That's what's the ministry. This is the method of reconciliation. Go to that brother in Christ. Take those witnesses with you. Take the church with you. And tell the truth. And then the last thing we have is an example of the ministry, which brings us back to Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, which is where we've started. We should think about Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 a minute. We're just not a particular verse, but this, these two chapters. What did we see? We saw a crippled man, right? We saw a crippled man who was sitting by the gate beautiful and could not enter into the temple to worship God because of his, his, his situation. Old Testament tells us that a man who was crippled, lame, blind, any of those things could not enter into the temple, nor could he worship God. He was outside. We understand from Jesus' own testimony about the man who was born blind. He says, Why is this done? Why is he born blind? Did his parents sin or him? And they said, neither, so that the works of God might be made manifest. He opened his eyes so he could see. So we see then that this man is crippled here for the purpose of glorifying the Lord. That's where it's at. He can't enter in, so what happens is Peter and John come to him and say, Gold and silver have I none, but what I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. This man's entire life was built on sitting at that gate, collecting alms. He trusted in gold and silver. He trusted in those men who did, would take him down there. He trusted in the, the, the guilt and anything else that would come across the people who would throw money at him. He trusted in all those things, and every day it never changed his condition. He was as crippled that day as the first day. But Jesus Christ being preached in Peter and John, reconciled that man to the gospel. Why? Because he believed. And the scripture says in Acts chapter uh, 3, uh, verse 8, look at this. He says, so he, leaping up. Now why did he leap up unless he believed what happened in verse 6 and 7? He was sitting there and that man said, what I've got I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And then his legs got strong. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? He didn't even know what he was feeling because he had never felt it before. But he strength welled up in him. He bowed up. He stood up and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. He was reconciled to Christ. All because the gospel was preached to that man. If you do that, that's, if you preach the gospel, that might happen. Now what else might happen is what happens in, in, in chapter 3, verse 11. Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John and all the people ran to gather him in the porch which is called Solomon's, great, Solomon's porch, greatly amazed. 
See, the second thing that might happen is a lot of people just might be awed by what you're talking about, but they may not be changed. Had a lot of people yesterday awed by the fact that we were giving away hot dogs. Think about that. They were awed by the fact that they were giving, getting candy and some really sweet cakes. <laughs> they were awed. Why are y'all doing this? But they may not have been changed. I don't really know. We won't know until today. But I do know that we preached Christ and Him crucified. We preached the resurrection. If you heard Josh's sermon at 5 o'clock, you know we preached the truth. Be reconciled to God. That may happen as you practice this. The third thing that may happen is what happens in chapter 4. Down in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, I love that line, by the way. Don't y'all like that? They perceived they were untrained and uneducated men. But they knew they had been with Jesus. See, that trumps everything else. Education's nice, degrees are wonderful, all that kind of stuff is excellent. I say pursue it to the nth degree as the Lord would allow you. But it pales in comparison to being plainly seen that you had been with Jesus. Because that's the message of reconciliation. He says, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. That's their response. This crippled man who's been there 40 years of his life, laying at the gate beautiful, begging for alms every day, suddenly jumps up, suddenly starts praising God, walks into the temple free for the first time in his life, and their response is, we can't say nothing about this. Man, man, it's going to make us look bad, you know, because we're supposed to be the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests. We're supposed to know all about this. We got the religion. We got everything, and this guy's walking. What are we going to do? I know. Let's shut him up. Let's throw them in jail. Let's lock them down. Let's forbid them from talking about Jesus anymore. And if you preach reconciliation, that might happen too. There's nothing worse than for the enemy to see victory in the name of Jesus. When the enemy's got them crushed, he's got them pressed, he's got them locked down, he's got them right where he wants them, <laughs> then Jesus shows up and they bust all that loose. That's what I love about the, the, the Exodus story. Right there on the Red Sea, right? It's, it's the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And God shows up. Part the sea, pass on through. I'll deal with these guys. And I'll make them run through, get about halfway. And as the song says, they'll all do the dead man's float. But it goes on, he said, Seeing the man had been healed, we could do nothing. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that's been a notable miracle has been done through them. It is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus. And here you go, guys. This is where we get to. This sooner or later, this will be us. Whether it's us individually, us as a community, us as a church, as a people, as a nation. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. You're going to have to make the call, world, on whether or not we're doing what you think is right. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen 
and heard. And if you have been born again, then you have seen and heard the great and mighty things of our God and our King. You have seen Him provide. You've seen Him deliver. You've seen Him heal. You've seen Him do great and mighty things. And that's what we're testifying of. And that's the message of reconciliation. Jesus has done these things in our life. And if you call on Him, you may enjoy Him as well. That's what we've been given. I'm real excited about it. It's made all the difference in my life. Made all the difference. One thing that's interesting to me about Facebook that I find interesting is occasionally you see somebody you maybe grew up with or something like that, and you look at their life and you look at it and you, and you see that's the same thing we were doing when we were 12. And then I think, I would be there if it was not for this grace. And so I want to contact him and go, let me tell you what happened to me. I talked to a friend of mine that it was just a, his name is Frankie. He looked, had hair just like Frankie's got. <laughs> Every time I look at Frankie, I think of Frankie. <laughs> and I got to talk to him. And I got to say, because he said, I thought you were going to do this with your life. I said, that's not what God did in my life. He changed it. And I have a message for you, Frankie. Be reconciled to God. And your life can change too. That's the good news here today. I'm going to let you out early. It's five minutes to noon. Let's pray together. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have come to you rejoicing in this ministry of reconciliation that you have done, that you have caused, that the, the Lord Jesus who became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God. We rejoice in Him. We thank you for that. We praise you that you would do that in us. And you've told us how to go about it, Lord calling them out, individual, corporately, together. Be reconciled to Christ. Come back to Him. And you've even shown us what might happen. Some will get saved. Some will just be wowed or be interested and say, we'll hear again on this matter. And still others will become angry. But whatever it be, Lord, it be you who's working. And we rejoice in that. I thank you for every saved soul here, everyone who's been reconciled with God and exists in His presence right now, knowing Him. This is you, and we thank you for that. Father, for the fall festival, again, I thank you for everyone who worked diligently to glorify your name. I pray, Father, for every soul that was there, that they would be touched by you, that through what happened, they will become con under conviction of the Spirit, see their need for a Savior. And Father, whether they come here or go anywhere else, I pray they go to you and be made new receive the righteousness of Christ that only He can give out. Father, we love You and we thank You here today. I rejoice in my family, the people of God that You've given us. It's in His name that we're praying here today. Amen. Amen.